So I'm a huge fan of The Purge. Okay. However, I'm like not a horror movie person, like no scary movies. But I can respect if any scary movie has an excellent plot line. Mm -hmm. And when I heard about The Purge, I was like, this looks like an incredible movie. Mm -hmm. I liked the first one, I think just because it gave it context Mm -hmm. as to how, like what this is. How it was established and everything. Yeah, how it was established, how it's literally like the purging of people who are irrelevant Mm -hmm. in that society, quote unquote irrelevant too, because they see themselves as like, I'm important. Mm. But other people are like, you are homeless and you bring us down right. as a community. So, right. So interesting. That's what this, uh, in the second one, there is, I think, an upsurge. Like, there is that kind of rebellion that is forming against the purge as as an implementation, as a tool, because they do call it, like, a way to just get rid of poor people or racialized people. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. But basically, like... I do see that there are many connections to real life. It's just like obviously a Hollywood like uh, fantasy version of it, but yeah. it does spark a lot of conversations about the kinds of systems and policies in place in our society that want to exterminate und- quote-unquote undesirable populations. Sorry, I always get like really emotional thinking about <laughs> yeah. it just because like I am like a low-income student, so I definitely mm-hmm. see what you mean about... Like, how people treat people of, like, lower classes or things that are associated with, like, lower classes. Like, whenever some people use, like, the word ghetto or ratchet, it's Mm -hmm. just, like, obviously there are very, like, racial connotations that Mm -hmm. I might not identify with, but, like, the class undertones of it. It still resonates. Oh, definitely. It's, like, very salient in my life. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I when I think about the purge versus real life, um, I guess the purge seems like this very – it obviously is very violent and it's seen as so repulsive – because it is uh, like literally life or death, like an immediate switch where like, you know, people are allowed to murder each other. Whereas in real life, I think a lot of people are desensitized and don't pay attention. So like there are these processes that slowly and like gradually kill certain populations at a faster rate than others. But because it's so slow, uh, people don't believe that it's happening and it's not considered that bad because they're like, they attach it to, like, the American dream rhetoric, and they're like, well, if you just worked harder, you wouldn't be in this situation. And then they kind of just end it at that. So I think that's that's a lot of what is keeping uh, important dialogue um, at bay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Smah Ali, and you're listening to Steep Tea. And I have a guest in the room, as always. Who are you, guest? My name is Angel Lo. Um, and what flavor of Steep Tea are we having today, Angel? We are having Jonggok Cha. Mm. The translation is Chinese tea, and translation might be kind of improper because my canto is not that great, but mm. I try my best. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Let's have it. Who are you? I am a 21-year-old Chinese Canadian, like a second-generation Canadian. Um, I'm a cis hetero woman, and I'm very excited to be talking to you today. (laughs) Well, let's have a conversation. Tell me about your life. Tell me about how you were raised. I was born and raised, I still live in North York. And my 
when I think about my upbringing, I think about a, about my parents working all the time, and I remember feeling kind of alone because my brother is 11 years older than me, so there is an age gap, and if I wanted to play games or do certain things, not like no one would really be around or very interested in like playing board games or something with me, and tying that to my relationship with my culture, for example, I uh, it, I didn't really make sense of it at the time, but you know how, how like in the present you kind of look back and there are certain meanings that you that were not apparent to you at the time. So, for example, my mom sometimes might shame me about not knowing my what should be my native language so Cantonese uh, and then I generally kind of like retort by saying no one was really around to ingrain it in me that you know I see other Cantonese speaking people who grew up in Canada or sometimes they don't really grow up in Canada like they kind of move back and forth between Hong Kong uh, and Canada so they already have that mechanism of picking up the language because they're immersed whereas i was like always in like the gta and a lot of people in my school didn't speak my language so i'm not really sure how i was supposed to immerse myself in that um growing up especially being a woman and a woman of color or i guess like a girl of color at the time there there were and still are so many limitations as to what my parents allow me to do because it's always qualified by, oh, but you're if a woman, you have to be home at this time. You always have to like, call me or text me when you're going somewhere, when you've like, met up with your friends. And obviously, they've kind of loosened the reins since I've grown older, but I compare myself with other people, uh, other women uh, my age. And a lot of times, they're like white women, and their parents are pretty chill about whatever they want to do and I'm if you're like, running amok oh yeah <laughs> streets for sure in New York. oh exactly mm-hmm. so yeah that's how i was raised mm. so what were some key identifiers that kind of rooted you into your culture when i hear that question i guess i have like two interpretations so maybe maybe it's both but i guess the first one is uh what do I identify with in my culture? And, and the second one is what, you know, key incidents or experiences I've had that tell me, like, that validate to me that I am a racialized person. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you don't, re- like, for example, I imagine if you grew up in a, in a place where everyone looked like you, spoke the same language as you, you wouldn't really realize you are racialized until you moved to, like, Canada or the States or something. So mm-hmm. is it more so, like, the first one? About- Let's unpack both. Okay. Because that's kind of, like, the crux of what we want to get to. Okay. So what do you identify with in your culture? Okay. Um, so I try to identify with the language, but it's there's such a language barrier, um, especially because the way that Cantonese is structured is it's a very informal colloquial language. So there's a lot of slang that's added onto it. And the way it's spoken is not really the way it's written. Uh, so when it's written, it's very formal. That's what like Mandarin Chinese is. And it's just, it's so difficult to learn how to write that I know lots of people who have grown up in Canada uh, who know Cantonese and they don't really know how to write because it is so separate and... Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how you're supposed to learn it because there's no alphabet. Yeah. Um, 
So language sometimes, like there are certain phrases I'll use to, to insert like humor into a conversation with my parents or with other people who speak the language. Like if I meet someone in a place where I don't imagine I'll meet other Cantonese-speaking people, I'll just like talk about it uh, or I'll talk in it a little bit just to feel that connection. The food is a huge part of it because I'm very blessed to have grown up in a place where there are many Chinese restaurants at my disposal, like good ones too. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about this later, but like coming to London, Ontario, uh, because I go to Western University, it has been a big shift that I've never adjusted to Yeah, because food is a very big part of my life. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's steeped in a lot of different uh, parts of like my social identities, but like specifically my race and my ethnicity. I think there are certain parts of my culture, like certain cultural values that I identify with, but I also try to reconcile it with my personal beliefs and my feminism. Mm -hmm. It's always very, it's always like a tricky... I think it's always difficult. Oh, like, yeah. Recognizing who you are and like what you stand for and then exactly. seeing how your culture kind of like goes against that. Oh, yeah. And having to grapple between the two. Especially because a lot of people you identify with your culture are of a different generation. So there's yeah. adding on to the intergenerational gap and still trying to respect your elders, which is another thing, which mm -hmm. is like, uh, at least in in like Chinese culture that I was uh, raised on, there's a whole, it's called like filial piety. It's, I think it's like from Confucianism, but no one says anything about it. They just say like, you have to respect your elders. So I think a lot of um, like communities of color feel this way, um, and like racialized communities, uh, so my parents will be like, why do white people tend to uh, put like their elders in nursing homes when it's supposed to be like, they're your family. You can't yeah. just ship them off somewhere and have like this random nurse taking care of them. Especially when like you definitely keep it in the family because I know like a lot of immigrant families, a lot of like racialized communities, uh, you have like the grandparents they're the ones taking care of their grandkids when the parents are off to work and that's what that's what uh happened with my family mm, i was very fortunate that my like grandma and grandpa could take care of me so the the thought of just displacing them entirely whenever they're considered too old again this goes back to like being undesirable it's very ageist as well mm -hmm. um is baffling to me and i do think that they're is quite a cultural divide on that. Absolutely. I think that's, that's such a cultural dissonance, but mm -hmm. when you come to the Western world, mm -hmm. like my mom's horror story is for me putting her into a nursing home. <laughs> and I'm like, girlfriend, you don't need to worry. <laughs> yeah. You'll be living with me the mm -hmm. moment, like I have my own house and I'm stable, exactly. like we'll be living in the same house together. And I'm exactly. very comfortable with that. And I also think that's just like my own culture of it being like, young women should live with their mothers until finding mm. a partner. And then at that point, until your mother has become like less capable of doing things for herself, she should move back with you, mm -hmm. parents in general. But the idea of shipping off someone who raised you or someone you love yeah. into literally a boarding school where you can forget about them exactly. and then visit them on weekends. Like I understand not everybody is um, like can actually afford to take care of another person and put them in their household but right. a like literally a nursing home like that's I know. it's so disheartening yeah mm -hmm.
get into the anecdotes. Okay. The experiences that formulated your identity, both the good and bad. Okay. I would say one of the earliest memories I have about just like being confronted with how I look as like a Chinese person. Uh, I didn't know what to think of it at the time, but I like to think I was pretty woke as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think like we all like to think that <laughs> woke angel. <laughs> yeah, I know woke BB angel. Um, I think I was like in grade three or something, and one of my friends, I guess you could say, like classmate. Oh, do you remember who Cecilia Jang is? Yes. Yeah. So she like lived like a few like she went to the school that was like a few kilometers away from where I lived and where I went to school. Oh my god! So it, like hit the community really hard, uh, especially like my my family because we are like Chinese and like that reinforced the whole like don't go to these places. Yeah. But by the way, she was taken from her home, so it's not mm-hmm. like... As long as she was doing anything, she was literally taken from her yeah. home. Yeah. Um, there's this one classmate, and she's not Chinese, and I guess she was like, oh, Angel looks like Cecilia. And I was like, what, is it? what does this mean? Like, she's <laughs> just this other Chinese girl, and she's older than me. I didn't think she looked like me, but maybe she, this girl didn't know enough Chinese people to be able to, like, tell the difference. And I didn't know what to think of it at the time. I was like, well... On the one hand, I BB Angel really liked and still likes attention on some level, but then to center around like stereotypical things about race and about like how like Asian people look like each other and how yeah. it's okay to just say things without thinking about how they might I don't know impact me and my emotions. Uh, it was it was a little bit weird. I didn't know what to make of that. Hmm. Uh, so because my brother is like. 11 years older than me, he he also grew up in the GTA, and I guess the school he went to, or maybe it was, like, the times that he grew up in, because they were sli- they were slightly different, like, he grew up in the 80s, um, he remembers being made fun of and kind of bullied a lot, uh, I think there were, like, a lot of white kids at his school, see, he also has, like, a really big birthmark on his forehead, but then, like, obviously that was something that was made fun of, but he also remembers distinctly, um, being made fun of because they just kind of identified him as like the Chinese boy and he was like out of school for a few years and then he I think he and my parents moved back to Hong Kong for a little bit or like a year and then he came back to the same school in uh, Canada and then the kids would remember him and just like laugh at him and be like that's the Chinese kid and um, I didn't realize that this had such an impact and I didn't really know much about it because I wasn't like I was probably like a baby then, or maybe I wasn't even there then. But like a few years ago, it kind of just came out and it was a very emotional experience hearing about it. And he said that he wanted to like kill himself at the time. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine that. I mean, any kid who's bullied to the point of wanting to feel that way, um, I mean, that really resonates with me. So I'm very lucky that I grew up in a time and like grew up going to school and in a community where there were, m- oh, I still am, like by and large, um, mostly racialized people so i don't really get that specific kind of racism Mm -hmm. so i feel very fortunate about that but then because now like i for the past three ish three and a half years i've spent like two-thirds of the year in london ontario uh i've had a few encounters so i don't know a lot of them are more questionable like they're not overt 
instances. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people, they aren't. And that just reinforces the need to talk about them because it's so hard to unpack. It's easy to be like, oh, when someone's like, I hate Chinese people or like they need to go back to their country. Like that's easier to pinpoint. But for example, I was at Gatsby the first year. So back when it was Gatsby. Mm-hmm. And I was just in the washroom and this one white girl, it was like around Lunar New Year. Yeah. Uh, which isn't personally a big deal for me. Like I just associate with bomb ass food, <laughs> you know, family times. Like yeah. that's cool. I don't really know the cultural importance behind it if there is. Uh, and then this one girl in the washroom is just, she just doesn't say hi, but she looks at me and she like yells. She, she's obviously drunk. She's like, happy new year. She doesn't say Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, what does this mean? Like, are you allowed to say this? Mm-hmm. Did you just assume that I am from a culture that, like, knows? I don't know. Like, she got it right, but it's at the same time, it's like, were you just lucky? Yeah. And, like, what makes you think you can just, like, say it? Like, she was very happy, so I felt bad trying to, like, tarnish her or trash her. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I remember, I told you about this before, but um, it was also first year. Uh, first year was quite a transition so it was halloween like outside a party and i was with my friend and then this white guy comes up and he's like talking to us mainly her and they're like kind of hitting off they're just having like a casual conversation and then he doesn't really talk to me and then he turns to me and then he just says and i can't even relate to you you're asian and i'm like not excuse me the, probably the bigger divide is like the fact that you're from this tiny ass town mm-hmm. and so tiny that you think you can just talk to people this way yeah when they're not white it's just like to me that kind of gets at the crux of racism and just kind of uh discrimination ac- according to like differences because mm-hmm. that's a very weird way but a very like I don't know, we're not really confronted with those kinds of articulations of difference where they're literally like, you're not like me, so we are so different. Mm-hmm. When obviously race is a social construct. Yeah. It's bizarre to me. Mm. And I feel like the more episodes that we go along with Steve T, we are constantly realizing that the more we are different and the more our cultures differ, the more we are actually the same. Exactly. And for people to just like, physically see someone and say that you actually look different than me therefore you are completely different yeah, for sure. it's like no bro <laughs> like yeah. that's that's just you and what you've constructed yeah. your thought process to be like to me that's just sort of an extension of just saying like like if it was just a group of white people but they just dress differently or just conducted themselves differently through mannerisms or mm-hmm. whatever uh like there's a difference in that but that's that's more of a choice but like your skin color and your facial features, to a certain extent, you can't change them. Mm-hmm. And it's just so jarring and it's very disheartening to think that people can automatically see you and associate with certain things. Even if they're positive things, because, I mean, like, being Asian, there's a whole model minority myth. And it's, like, cool that people would automatically think I'm smart. But I, first of all, I don't, I want to interrogate what being smart means mm-hmm. in our society because it is very rooted in academia. And I, tr- as much as I benefit from that, because I like to think I'm I am good at that, I'm good at school. It's kind of like, well, it's always at the expense of certain people. So again, going back to my brother, he's not very good at school and he didn't enjoy it and he, he finds it hard to focus. He's not interested in the material, not interested in the way that instructors presented the material. And that's totally fine. But when you, 
Oh, well, if he were white, I feel like there would be different connotations about kind of like dropping out of college or something and mm-hmm. then just taking a job that's not considered like conducive to upward social mobility. Yeah. Whereas being the children of immig- like being the children of immigrants is like always so tough. And then add on to that like the fact that you're racialized and then adding on to that a layer of being specifically like East Asian, uh, people expect you to work at like RBC, like really high up, or to be in tech or just to be a professional and to have achieve the North American dream. Yeah. Plus I feel like the model minority myth it only goes towards an extent because, quote-unquote, immigrants are taking our jobs. Exactly. But it's like, if you were born and raised here, grew up in the same education and school with you, how am I really taking a job just because I look different? Exactly. Let alone, let's not even get into like the argument of how immigrants are taking jobs. Because exactly. I'm pretty sure that those empires have been affected by Western right. presence. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or like, you can just blame like... like not really blame, but like, isn't this beneficial for all of us? Because I mean, the government is mainly letting in immigrants they think are qualified. Mm-hmm. Well, then, and then they devalue their education, which is like a really weird, it's a weird system. Yeah, it, it's really weird to me. where I just kind of wanted to talk about how much have you grown over the past four years because you're now at the end of your undergraduate Mm. and I feel like after learning your after learning how you aren't quite a shining beacon of light in your mother's eyes of being like fully ingrained in like your culture and then you go to school and you still have like white kids or any kind of kid like saying stuff to you that like kind of pushes you away from that like Canadian identity mm-hmm. and now you're finishing undergrad and you've kind of studied all of these things and learned who you are how was that brought you to who you are today I think anytime someone ex- is exposed to something that is closer and closer to the truth they simultaneously feel uncomfortable with it but also kind of at peace because they know they're reaching like this kernel of truth so that's how i feel so because i'm in women's studies or gender studies however you want to call it i was obviously exposed to a lot of social issues a lot of which are relevant to my interests Mm -hmm. and being able to discuss them in that setting in that safe space uh was very helpful and it improved my ability to articulate Mm, difficult emotions and experiences and thoughts Mm -hmm. with people who mostly would be able to understand it or add on to again going back to how we all have like these similar experiences so we're not really that different but different enough for there to be ideally like this fully fleshed well-rounded conversation about something like race Mm -hmm. or culture Mm, I would say it's hard to Um, like decouple my experiences in university with like where the university is located and the demographics so again I went to like a high school and I grew up in areas that are 
like 95% like racialized um, and adding on to that um, like lower middle class, lower class, that's usually where you find a lot of racialized people anyway, um, which goes back to how there are certain like institutions and policies in place that uh, oppress people. It's yeah, so it's hard to talk about um, these past four years without thinking like I've been awakened and like am more woke, but that's partly uh, a response and a necessity because when there is a like a white majority, you I personally gravitate more towards like racialized people because we understand what it's like to be in this very white space together. So these past four years, I feel like I have developed very meaningful, deep relationships with a number of people, some of whom are white because they get it and they're Mm -hmm. my white ally friends. So that's great. But I have a lot of inner turmoil that I didn't really know I had uh, as a kid. But that's something I'm constantly trying to unpack. So it's definitely still a work in progress. I feel like I've gotten a lot better, again, like with articulating how I feel. Um, and it's like deeply rooted in my feminism. And I like to think that's my form of activism. Some might call it slacktivism, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you moved here um, in London, Ontario, you didn't have that same like Chinese presence that you had back home. How did you deal with that? Because you were blessed with food back in North York. Yeah. And now, I believe what you implied earlier, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's barely any. Oh, yeah. Um, There are a few places that are really just, like, subpar compared to the excellent, like, variety I have at my disposal back in North York. And especially because, like, North York is, like, neighboring, like, Richmond Hill. It's, like, close enough to Markham. So we Mm -hmm. go there, and it's all Chinese food. It's also, it's not even, like, Chinese food. There are many different cuisines within Chinese culture. People kind of forget that China's bigger than Europe as a whole. Mm-hmm. So why would there not be different cultures and yeah. languages? Mm-hmm. So that was great. But coming here, it's very difficult. Um, and it's kind of like people are like, you should just cook for yourself. And it's like, I'm a student. I don't like cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that I enjoy it. And then I get stressed out. I turn to food but if there is no food that I like Mm -hmm. like I want to use chopsticks I don't want to use my hands to Mm -hmm. eat sandwiches all the time which is what I do when I have to come on campus um oh uh funny enough I don't actually have forks in Mm -hmm. my place I I think I just lost my one and only fork so I just have like three pairs of chopsticks (laughs) and then it's like you know what if I'm baking something not that I do but theoretically Mm -hmm. I could just use those as like tongs I feel like they're good for anything Mm -hmm. um and yeah, not having Chinese food and being away from home because my parents cook for me. I know I'm like really spoiled and lucky in that way that they just provide for me in terms of food. It's been very difficult because when I get really stressed, uh, I turn towards school. Some people might turn towards other things like sleep or food, but school always comes first for me and then everything else falls back and... I feel like, especially in second and third year, that kind of exacerbated like my disordered eating. So I would say it's hard to think about my culture and my food and being in London without thinking about the very physical and uh, tangible effects that it's had on 
this like embodied experience of being racialized. And obviously that's not everyone's experience when they're racialized and in London, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are other people who share that experience. encountered women roughly our age mm-hmm. um, who are of Asian descent and they're very they kind of buy into the model minority internalized perspective and identity oh my gosh yeah um, even like geographically or like regionally like being in North York there are a lot of Chinese people, but it's not entirely. But then, like, when you, as soon as you go into certain parts of Richmond Hill, Markham, where they're, like, the big houses are at, and it's, there's certainly a divide. And then a lot of them go to Western because people tend to be, like, upper middle, upper class at Western. Um, I see that a lot. And it was it was more pronounced because I don't, I wouldn't really know people from Richmond Hill mm-hmm. until I came to <laughs> London, mm-hmm. ironically. And... That has been another huge contributing factor to my sense of loneliness and isolation, alienation at Western. So I see people uh, who are East Asian, and I'm supposed to identify with them on a racial level, but I don't. There's like CSA, which is the Chinese Students Association. It's a cultural club. It's not. There are no like political or racial interests, mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in that because I'm not a very social person. Yeah, and they tend to know each other from their hometown anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like, why do I want to try to? like penetrate this uh group not a good use mm-hmm. uh, not, a, not a good enough use of the word penetrate but like that's the only one i could think of mm-hmm. so i feel like i not to bring it back to class i mean if you don't want me to but uh i feel like i definitely identify more with people who are like lower middle or lower class so the socioeconomic status is a huge part of my identity being at western and being in london so yeah i see those people and You'll see them like in the smoke line, and they're obviously dressed in like I don't know, like mostly a red suit of clothes, and you can just tell because like expensive clothes, like expensive whatever, uh, tends to look expensive, and they have like the really nice, uh, the really nice like brown hair, and they're all talking to each other, and I can just tell that they're probably like from Richmond Hill or like Saga or Oakville or someplace Mm -hmm. and then they'll sometimes use words like ghetto and like you kind of overhear that Mm -hmm. and again that's like deeply upsetting to me uh, because I feel like I'm being personally attacked but then on top of it I'm kind of like oh no you're buying into it Mm -hmm. and it's like I'm not surprised because you benefit from it through model minority myth but also just through like consuming the American dream, the rugged individualism that we're taught to learn, but that's what I'm trying to unlearn. So yeah, it's hard to identify with them. Um, I think I have like maybe one or two friends who are upper middle class, who are Chinese, and from those areas I mentioned before, but they are probably more woke about it. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to talk to a lot of people about it because they're so like in their bubble 
they go back to like their respective motherlands like every few summers uh they i don't know they have like the nice cars and everything they hang on certain places that are inaccessible to a lot of people mm-hmm. so gathering what you've learned from your childhood and mm-hmm. your past and who you are right now what do you see your future looking like with respect to your culture with mm. just who you want to be okay well to start off i'm currently discussing with my mom whether we're gonna go to hong kong this summer it's not gonna be for too long and then after i think we'll go to like shanghai and beijing and also this whole time i haven't really gone back to hong kong last time i went one and like first and only time so far i was one year old so it's been two decades which is so weird it's also weird realizing i'm 21 years old yeah (laughs) that's a whole other topic and that that uh i don't know if i would consider myself diasporic i don't want to take that title but there are certain narratives associated with that that i heavily identify with maybe it's more pronounced for me as someone who hasn't really been to the motherland because i think about this so much and i am in women's studies so we talk about things like this a lot i mean a lot of people can identify with like not really knowing where they fit having to occupy this really difficult to navigate like liminal space like am i canadian like i feel canadian but there's certain things i don't partake in and people don't see me as canadian or fully canadian but obviously if i go back to hong kong i don't even speak the language that well so i'm not sure how i'm supposed to integrate yeah and then there are certain cultural values <laughs> mm-hmm. and so many things i don't know about but i'd love to learn about it i'd love to feel closer but i'm afraid i'll feel even further realizing that i'm not that close to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. Uh, so we're discussing that I think in the future I want to go to law school and depending on the school I go to so my top two in Canada would be Osgood at York and then U of T so U of T is known for being I think the demographics are pretty different so I think Osgood does really try to diversify its student population mm-hmm. and that's related to their admissions process um, so I think there are a lot more racialized people and it's in North York mm-hmm. um, so I think if I were there, I would thrive in a certain way because I think it's very draining to try to occupy white dominant spaces. So I think for there to be more racialized students who kind of get it would be great for my personal mental health and that kind of development. But I think at the same time, like being in the legal field in the future it's still going to be dominated by white people. So I think I need to be exposed to that and learn Mm -hmm. how to dialogue with that. So going to U of T, for example, or just other schools where there are many, many white people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to kind of debate with them on certain things. Yeah. But I don't want to educate them because that's very personally taxing. I like to think that I'm going to, like, try to navigate that fine line between kind of introducing them to these complex topics that we have to unpack and then also just kind of taking a step back and not being, like, that person who has to educate everyone. It'll be interesting, I think, because we are older. um, I think in law school or certain law schools, the wealth inequality is, like, more pronounced or... I don't even know if it's the wealth inequality that's more pronounced or just there are a lot of people who, like, 
are from richer households. Mm -hmm. I think I read this survey of students who go to U of T law, and it's kind of skewed because there was a percentage that didn't report their income, but there was like at least like 30-something, I think like 40%. I don't want to like misquote, but it was like a very large percentage, at least in my opinion, of students whose households make... 200k or more mm -hmm. and to me that's mind-blowing maybe for some people it's not but i think when you think about socioeconomic status correlated with race like for me it's like those are always very apparent to me and like that's always like a double whammy because it's like you don't get me on this level and on this level but they're also very intimately related so i think i think so i think that there are going to be a lot more obstacles in mm -hmm. the future, but I feel more prepared to tackle them because, again, I feel more articulate. I don't know if I feel mentally prepared yeah. for all of this, but I don't think we ever are, and that's yeah. our burden, unfortunately, to shoulder. Mm -hmm. Whether we like it or not, whether we want to talk to people about it or not, it's always going to take a toll on our mental health. Yeah. But it's bold and pack. How can people find you, Angel? On Instagram, my handle is NGLLNG. So it's like Angel Long, but without vowels. Mm -hmm. On Facebook, I'm Angel Long. So Angel as in the word, Long as in L E U N G. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, today. no problem. This has been very cleansing, and I think. It's really interesting how everyone always has a different relation of their culture. Definitely. And we talked a lot about race today and like socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how paired the two go hand in hand. Unfortunately so, but oh, for sure. it's reality. You guys can find more episodes of Steep Tea on the Sisterhood Media SoundCloud page as well as the iTunes page for Steep Tea. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for our next week's episode. Say